Section 34 of the Arabian Nights Entertainments, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Scott Jones. The Arabian Nights Entertainments, Volume 1, by Anonymous. Translated by Dr. Jonathan Scott. Section 34. In this miserable state they came to the first village. The peasants' wives flocked about them, and, as it appeared through their disguise that they were people of some condition, asked them what was the occasion of their travelling in a habit that did not seem to belong to them. Instead of answering the question, they fell to weeping, which only served to heighten the curiosity of the peasants, and to move their compassion. Ghanim's mother told them what she and her daughter had endured, at which the good countrywomen were sensibly afflicted, and endeavoured to comfort them. They treated them as well as their poverty would permit, took off their horsehair shifts, which were very uneasy to them, and put on them others which they gave them, with shoes and something to cover their heads, and save their hair. Having expressed their gratitude to these charitable women, Jalib al-Kulub and her mother departed from that village, taking short journeys towards Aleppo. They used at dusk to retire near or into the mosques, where they passed the night on the mat, if there was any, or else on the bare pavement, and sometimes rested in the public places appointed for the use of travellers. As for sustenance, they did not want, for they often came to places where bread, boiled rice, and other provisions are distributed to all travellers who desire it. At length they came to Aleppo, but would not stay there, and continuing their journey towards the Euphrates, crossed the river and entered Mesopotamia, which they traversed as far as Mosul. Thence, notwithstanding all they had endured, they proceeded to Baghdad. That was the place they had fixed their thoughts upon, hoping to find Ghanim, though they ought not to have fancied that he was in a city where the caliph resided. But they hoped, because they wished it, their affection for him increasing instead of diminishing with their misfortunes. Their conversation was generally about him, and they inquired for him of all they met. But let us leave Jalib al-Kulub and her mother, and return to Fetna. She was still confined closely in the dark tower, since the day that had been so fatal to Ghanim and herself. However disagreeable as her prison was to her, it was much less grievous than the thoughts of Ghanim's misfortune, the uncertainty of whose fate was a killing affliction. There was scarcely a moment in which she did not lament him. The caliph was accustomed to walk frequently at night within the enclosure of his palace, for he was the most inquisitive prince in the world, and sometimes, by those night walks, came to the knowledge of things that happened in his court, which would otherwise never have reached his ear. One of those nights, in his walk, he happened to pass by the dark tower, and fancying he heard somebody talk, stopped, and drawing near the door to listen, distinctly heard these words, which Fetnah, whose thoughts were always on Ghanim, uttered with a loud voice. O oh, Ghanim! Too unfortunate Ghanim! Where are you at this time? Whither has thy cruel fate led thee? Alas! It is I that have made you wretched! Why did you not let me perish miserably, rather than afford me your generous relief? What melancholy return have you received for your care and respect? The commander of the faithful, who ought to have rewarded, persecutes you, and in requital for having always regarded me as a person reserved for his bed, you lose your fortune, and are obliged to seek for safety in flight. O caliph, barbarous caliph, 
how can you exculpate yourself when you shall appear with ganem before the tribunal of the supreme judge and the angels shall testify the truth before your face all the power you are now invested with and which makes almost the whole world tremble will not prevent your being condemned and punished for your violent and unjust proceedings here fetnah ceased her complaints her sighs and tears putting a stop to her utterance this was enough to make the caliph reflect he plainly perceived that if what he had heard was true his favorite must be innocent and that he had been too hasty in giving such orders against ganem and his family being resolved to be rightly informed in an affair which so nearly concerned him in point of equity on which he valued himself he immediately returned to his apartment and that moment ordered mesrur to repair to the dark tower and bring fetnah before him by this command and much more by the caliph's manner of speaking the chief of the eunuchs guessed that his master designed to pardon his favorite and take her to him again he was overjoyed at the thought for he respected fetnah and had been much concerned at her disgrace therefore flying instantly to the tower madam said he to the favorite with such an air as expressed his satisfaction be pleased to follow me i hope you will never more return to this melancholy abode the commander of the faithful wishes to speak with you and i draw from this a happy omen fetnah followed mesrur who conducted her into the caliph's closet she prostrated herself before him and so continued her face bathed in tears fetnah said the caliph without bidding her rise i think you charge me with violence and injustice who is he that notwithstanding the regard and respect he had for me is in a miserable condition speak freely you know the natural goodness of my disposition and that i love to do justice by these words the favorite was convinced that the caliph had heard what she had said and availed herself of so favorable an opportunity to clear ganem commander of the true believers said she if i have let fall any word that is not agreeable to your majesty i most humbly beseech you to forgive me but he whose innocence and wretched state you desire to be informed of is ganem the unhappy son of abu ayub late a rich merchant of damascus he saved my life from a grave and afforded me a sanctuary in his house i must own that from the first moment he saw me he perhaps designed to devote himself to me and conceived hopes of engaging me to admit his love i guess at this by the eagerness which he showed in entertaining me and doing me all the good offices i so much wanted under the circumstances i was then in but as soon as he heard that i had the honor to belong to you ah madam said he that which belongs to the master is forbidden to the slave from that moment i owe this justice to his virtue to declare his behavior was always suitable to his words you commander of the true believers well know with what rigor you have treated him and you will answer for it before the tribunal of god the caliph was not displeased with fetnah for the freedom of these words but may i said he rely on the assurance you give me of ganem's virtue yes replied fetnah you may i would not for the world conceal the truth from you and to prove to you that i am sincere i must make a confession which perhaps may displease you but i beg pardon of your majesty beforehand speak daughter said harun al-rashid i forgive you all provided you conceal nothing from me well then replied fetnah let me inform you that ganem's respectful behavior joined to all the good offices he did me gained him my esteem i went further yet 
you know the tyranny of love i felt some tender inclination rising in my breast he perceived it but far from availing himself of my frailty and notwithstanding the flame which consumed him he still remained steady in his duty and all that his passion could force from him were the words i have already repeated to your majesty that which belongs to the master is forbidden to the slave this ingenuous confession might have provoked any other man than the caliph but it completely appeased that prince he commanded her to rise and making her sit by him tell me your story said he from the beginning to the end she did so with artless simplicity passing slightly over what regarded zobeida and enlarging on the obligation she owed to ganem but above all she highly extolled his discretion endeavouring by that means to make the caliph sensible that she had been under the necessity of remaining concealed in ganem's house to deceive zobeida she concluded with the young merchant's escape which she plainly told the caliph she had compelled him to so that he might avoid his indignation when she had done speaking the caliph said to her i believe all you have told me but why was it so long before you let me hear from you was there any need of staying a whole month after my return before you sent me word where you were commander of the true believers answered fetnah ganem went abroad so very seldom that you need not wonder we were not the first that heard of your return besides ganem who took upon him to deliver the letter i wrote to nuran nihar was a long time before he could find an opportunity of putting it into her own hands it is enough fetnah replied the caliph i acknowledge my fault and would willingly make amends for it by heaping favours on the young merchant of damascus consider therefore what i can do for him ask what you think fit and i will grant it hereupon the favourite fell down at the caliph's feet with her face to the ground and rising again said commander of the true believers after returning your majesty thanks for ganem i most humbly entreat you to cause it to be published throughout your dominions that you pardon the son of abu ayub and that he may safely come to you i must do more rejoined the prince in requital for having saved your life and the respect he has strewn for me to make amends for the loss of his fortune in short to repair the wrong i have done to himself and his family i give him to you for a husband Fetnah had no words expressive enough to thank the caliph for his generosity. She then withdrew into the apartment she had occupied before her melancholy adventure. The same furniture was still in it, nothing had been removed, but that which pleased her most was to find Ganem's chest and bales, which Mesrur had received the caliph's orders to convey thither. The next day, Harun al-Rashid ordered the Grand Vizier to cause proclamation to be made throughout all his dominions, that he pardoned Ganem, the son of Abu Ayyub, but this proved of no effect, for a long time elapsed without any news of the young merchant. Fetna concluded that he had not been able to survive the pain of losing her. A dreadful uneasiness seized her mind, but as hope is the last thing which forsakes lovers, she entreated the caliph to give her leave to seek for ganem herself which being granted she took a purse containing a thousand pieces of gold and went one morning out of the palace mounted on a mule from the caliph's stables very richly caparisoned black eunuchs attended her with a hand placed on each side of the mule's back 
Thus she went from mosque to mosque, bestowing her alms among the devotees of the Mohammedan religion, desiring their prayers for the accomplishment of an affair on which the happiness of two persons, she told them, depended. She spent the whole day and the thousand pieces of gold in giving alms at the mosques, and returned to the palace in the evening. The next day she took another purse of the same value, and in like equipage as the day before, went to the square of the jeweler's shops, and stopping at the gateway without alighting, sent one of her black eunuchs for the syndic or chief of them. The syndic, who was a most charitable man and spent above two-thirds of his income in relieving poor strangers, sick or in distress, did not make Fetna wait, knowing by her dress that she was a lady belonging to the palace. "'I apply myself to you,' said she, putting the purse into his hands, "'as a person whose piety is celebrated throughout the city.' I desire you to distribute that gold among the poor strangers you relieve, for I know you make it your business to assist those who apply to your charity. I am also satisfied that you prevent their wants, and that nothing is more grateful to you than to have an opportunity of relieving their misery. Madam, answered the syndic, I shall obey your commands with pleasure, but if you desire to exercise your charity in person, and will be pleased to step to my house, you will see there two women worthy of your compassion. I met them yesterday as they were coming into the city. They were in a deplorable condition, and it moved me the more because I thought they were persons of rank. Through all the rags that covered them, notwithstanding the impression the sun has made on their faces, I discovered a noble air not to be commonly found in those people I relieve. I carried them both to my house and delivered them to my wife, who was of the same opinion with me. She caused her slaves to provide them good beds, while she herself led them to our warm bath and gave them clean linen. We know not yet who they are, because we wish to let them take some rest before we trouble them with our questions. Fetna, without knowing why, felt a curiosity to see them. The syndic would have conducted her to his house, but she would not give him the trouble, and was satisfied that a slave should show her the way. She alighted at the door, and followed the syndic's slave, who had gone before to give notice to his mistress, she then being in the chamber with Jalib al-Kulub and her mother, for they were the persons the syndic had been speaking of to Fetna. The syndic's wife, being informed by the slave that a lady from the palace was in her house, was hastening to meet her. But Fetna, who had followed the slave, did not give her time. On her coming into the chamber, the syndic's wife prostrated herself before her to express the respect she had for all who belonged to the caliph. Fetna raised her up and said, My good lady, I desire you will let me speak to those two strangers that arrived at Baghdad last night. Madam, answered the syndic's wife, they lie in those beds you see by each other. The favorite immediately drew near the mother's, and offering her carefully, Good woman, said she, I come to offer you my assistance. I have considerable interest in this city, and may be of service to you and your companion. "'Madam,' answered Ghanim's mother, "'I perceive by your obliging offers that heaven has not quite forsaken us, though we had cause to believe it had, after so many misfortunes as have befallen us.' Having uttered these words, she wept so bitterly that Fetna and the syndic's wife could not forbear letting fall some tears. The caliph's favorite, having dried up hers, said to Ghanim's mother, "'Be so kind as to tell us your misfortunes, and recount your story.' you cannot make the relation to any persons better disposed to use all possible means to comfort you. Madam, replied Abu Ayyub's disconsolate widow, 
a favorite of the commander of the true believers, a lady whose name is Fetna, is the occasion of all our misfortunes. These words were like a thunderbolt to the favorite, but suppressing her agitation and concern, she suffered Ghanim's mother to proceed in the following manner. I am the widow of Abu Ayyub, a merchant of Damascus. I had a son called Ghanim, who, coming to trade at Baghdad, has been accused of carrying off Fetna. The caliph caused search to be made for him everywhere, to put him to death. But not finding him, he wrote to the king of Damascus to cause our house to be plundered and razed, and to expose my daughter and myself three days successively naked to the populace, and then to banish us out of Syria for ever. But how unworthy soever our usage has been, I should still be comforted were my son alive, and I could meet with him. What a pleasure would it be for his sister and me to see him again! Embracing him, we should forget the loss of our property, and all the evils we have suffered on his account. Alas, I am fully persuaded he is only the innocent cause of them, and that he is no more guilty towards the caliph than his sister and myself. No doubt of it, said Fetna, interrupting her there. He is no more guilty than you are. I can assure you of his innocence, for I am that very Fetna you so much complain of, who through some fatality in my stars have occasioned you so many misfortunes. To me you must impute the loss of your son if he is no more. But if I have occasioned your misfortune, I can in some measure relieve it. I have already justified Ghanim to the caliph, who has caused it to be proclaimed throughout his dominions that he pardons the son of Abu Ayyub, and doubt not, he will do you as much good as he has done you injury. You are no longer his enemies. He waits for Ghanim to requite the service he has done me by uniting our fortunes. He gives me to him for his consort. Therefore, look on me as your daughter, and permit me to vow eternal duty and affection. Having so said, she bowed down on Ghanim's mother, who was so astonished that she could return no answer. Fetna held her long in her arms, and only left her to embrace the daughter, who, sitting up, held out her arms to receive her. When the caliph's favorite had strewn the mother and daughter all tokens of affection, as Ghanim's wife, she said to them, The wealth Ghanim had in this city is not lost. It is in my apartment in the palace. But I know all the treasure in the world cannot comfort you without Ghanim, if I may judge of you by myself. Blood is no less powerful than love in great minds. But why should we despair of seeing him again? We shall find him. The happiness of meeting with you makes me conceive fresh hopes. Perhaps this is the last day of your sufferings, and the beginning of a greater felicity than you enjoyed in Damascus, when Ghanim was with you. Fetna would have proceeded. But the syndic of the jewellers, coming in, interrupted her. Madam, said he to her, I come from seeing a very moving object. It is a young man whom a camel-driver had just carried to an hospital. He was bound with cords on a camel, because he had not strength enough to sit. They had already unbound him, and were carrying him into the hospital when I happened to pass by. I went up to the young man, viewed him attentively, and fancied his countenance was not altogether unknown to me. I asked him some questions concerning his family and his country, but all the answers I could get were sighs and tears. I took pity on him, and being much used to care for sick people, perceived that he had need to have particular care taken of him. 
I would not permit him to be put into the hospital, for I am too well acquainted with their way of managing the sick, and am sensible of the incapacity of the physicians. I have caused him to be brought to my own house, by my slaves, and they are now in a private room where I placed him, putting on some of my own linen, and treating him as they would do myself. Fetna's heart beat at these words of the jeweller, and she felt a sudden emotion, for which she could not account. Show me, said she to the syndic, into the sick man's room. I should be glad to see him. The syndic conducted her, and while she was going thither, Ghanim's mother said to Jalib al-Kalub, Alas, daughter, wretched as that sick stranger is, your brother, if he be living, is not perhaps in a more happy condition. The caliph's favorite, coming into the chamber of the sick stranger, drew near the bed in which the syndic's slaves had already laid him. She saw a young man, whose eyes were closed, his countenance pale, disfigured, and bathed in tears. She gazed earnestly on him, her heart beat, and she fancied she beheld Ghanim. But yet she would not believe her eyes. Though she found something of Ghanim in the objects she beheld, yet in other respects he appeared so different that she durst not imagine it was he that lay before her. Unable, however, to withstand the earnest desire of being satisfied, Ghanim, said she, with a trembling voice, is it you I behold? Having spoken these words, she stopped to give the young man time to answer, but observing that he seemed insensible. Alas, Ghanim, added she, it is not you that I address. My imagination being overcharged with your image has given to a stranger a deceitful resemblance. The son of Abu Ayyub, however indisposed, would know the voice of Fetna. At the name of Fetna, Ghanim, for it was really he, opened his eyes, sprang up, and knowing the caliph's favorite, Ah, madam, said he, by what miracle? He could say no more. Such a sudden transport of joy seized him that he fainted away. Fetna and the syndic did all they could to bring him to himself, but as soon as they perceived he began to revive, the syndic desired the lady to withdraw, lest the sight of her should heighten his disorder. The young man, having recovered, looked all around, and not seeing what he sought, exclaimed, "'What has become of you, charming Fetna? Did you really appear before my eyes, or was it only an illusion?' "'No, sir,' said the syndic, "'it was no illusion. It was I that caused the lady to withdraw, but you shall see her again, as soon as you are in a condition to bear the interview. You now stand in need of rest, and nothing ought to obstruct your taking it. The situation of your affairs is altered, since you are, as I suppose, that Ghanim, in favor of whom the commander of the true believers has caused a proclamation to be made in Baghdad, declaring that he forgives him what is past. Be satisfied, for the present, with knowing so much. The lady, who just now spoke to you, will acquaint you with the rest. Therefore think of nothing but recovering your health. I will contribute all in my power towards it. Having spoke these words, he left Ghanim to take his rest, and went himself to provide for such medicines as were proper to recover his strength, exhausted by hard living and toil. During this time, Fetna was in the room with Jalib al-Kalub and her mother, where almost the same scene was acted all over again, 
for when Ganem's mother understood that the sick stranger whom the syndic had brought into the house was Ganem himself, she was so overjoyed that she also swooned away, and when, with the assistance of Fetna and the syndic's wife, she was again come to herself, she would have arisen to go and see her son. But the syndic coming in hindered her, representing that Ganem was so weak and emaciated that it would endanger his life to excite in him those emotions which must be the consequence of the unexpected sight of a beloved mother and sister. There was no occasion for the syndic saying any more to Ganem's mother. As soon as she was told that she could not converse with her son without hazarding his life, she ceased insisting to go and see him. Fetna then said, Let us bless heaven for having brought us all together. I will return to the palace to give the caliph an account of these adventures, and to-morrow morning I will return to you. This said, she embraced the mother and the daughter, and went away. As soon as she came to the palace, she sent Mesrur to request a private audience of the caliph, which was immediately granted, and being brought into the prince's closet where he was alone, she prostrated herself at his feet, with her face on the ground according to custom. He commanded her to rise, and having made her sit down, asked whether she had heard any news of Ghanim. "'Commander of the true believers,' said she, "'I have been so successful that I have found him, and also his mother and sister.' The caliph was curious to know how she had discovered them in so short a time, and she satisfied his inquiries, saying so many things in commendation of Ghanim's mother and sister, he desired to see them as well as the young merchant. Though Harun al-Rashid was passionate, and in his heat sometimes guilty of cruel actions, yet he was just, and the most generous prince in the world when the storm of anger was over, and he was made sensible of the wrong that he had done. Having therefore no longer cause to doubt, but that he had unjustly persecuted Ghanim and his family, and had publicly wronged them, he resolved to make them public satisfaction. "'I am overjoyed,' he said to Fetna, "'that your search has proved so successful. It is a real satisfaction to me, not so much for your sake as for my own. I will keep the promise I have made you. You shall marry Ghanim, and I here declare you are no longer my slave. You are free.' Go back to that young merchant, and as soon as he has recovered his health, you shall bring him to me with his mother and sister. The next morning early Fetna repaired to the syndic of the jewellers, being impatient to hear of Ghanim's health, and tell the mother and daughter the good news she had for them. The first person she met with was the syndic, who told her that Ghanim had rested well that night, and that his disorder proceeding altogether from melancholy, the cause being removed, he would soon recover his health. Accordingly, the son of Abu Ayyub was speedily much amended. Rest and the good medicines he had taken, but above all the different situation of his mind, had wrought so good an effect that the syndic thought he might without danger see his mother, his sister, and his mistress, provided he was prepared to receive them, because there was ground to fear that, not knowing his mother and sister were at Baghdad, the sight of them might occasion too great a surprise and joy. It was therefore resolved that Fetna should first go alone into Ghanim's chamber, and then make a sign to the other two ladies to appear when she thought it was proper. Matters being so ordered, the syndic announced Fetna's coming to the sick man, who was so transported to see her that he was again near fainting away. "'Well, Ghanim,' said she, drawing near to his bed, "'you have again found your Fetna, whom you thought you had lost forever.' "'Ah, madam!' exclaimed he, eagerly interrupting her. 
what miracle has restored you to my sight? I thought you were in the caliph's palace. He has doubtless listened to you. You have dispelled his jealousy, and he has restored you to his favor. Yes, my dear Ghanim, answered Fetna, I have cleared myself before the commander of the true believers, who, to make amends for the wrong he has done you, bestows me on you for a wife. These last words occasioned such an excess of joy in Ghanim that he knew not for a while how to express himself otherwise than by that passionate silence so well known to lovers. At length he broke out into these words, Beautiful Fetna, may I give credit to what you tell me? May I believe that the caliph really resigns you to Abu Ayyub's son? Nothing is more certain, answered the lady. The caliph, who before caused search to be made for you to take away your life, and who in his fury caused your mother and your sister to suffer a thousand indignities, desires now to see you, that he may reward the respect you had for him, and there is no question but that he will load your family with favors. Ghanim asked what the caliph had done to his mother and sister, which Fetna told him, and he could not forbear letting fall some tears at the relation, notwithstanding the thoughts which arose in his mind at the prospect of being married to his mistress. But when Fetna informed him that they were actually in Baghdad, and in the same house with him, he appeared so impatient to see them that the favorite could no longer defer giving him the satisfaction, and accordingly called them in. They were at the door waiting for that moment. They entered, went up to Ghanim, and embracing him in their turns, kissed him a thousand times. What tears were shed amidst those embraces! Ghanim's face was bathed with them, as well as his mother's and sister's, and Fetna let fall abundance. The syndic himself and his wife were so moved at the spectacle that they could not forbear weeping, nor sufficiently admire the secret workings of Providence, which had brought together into their house four persons whom fortune had so cruelly persecuted. When they had dried up their tears, Ghanim drew them afresh, by the recital of what he had suffered from the day he left Fetna, till the moment the syndic brought him to his house. He told them that, having taken refuge in a small village, he there fell sick, that some charitable peasants had taken care of him, but finding he did not recover, a camel-driver had undertaken to carry him to the hospital at Baghdad. Fetna also told them all the uneasiness of her imprisonment, how the caliph, having heard her talk in the tower, had sent for her into his closet, and how she had cleared herself. In conclusion, when they had related what accidents had befallen them, Fetna said, let us bless heaven which has brought us all together again and let us think of nothing but the happiness that awaits us as soon as ghanim has recovered his health he must appear before the caliph with his mother and sister but i will go and make some provision for them this said she went to the palace and soon returned with a purse containing a thousand pieces of gold which she delivered to the syndic desiring him to buy apparel for the mother and daughter the syndic who was a man of a good taste, chose such as were very handsome, and had them made up with all expedition. They were finished in three days, and Ghanim, finding himself strong enough, prepared to go abroad. But on the day he had appointed to pay his respects to the caliph, while he was making ready with his mother and sister, the grand vizier, Jafir, came to the syndic's house. He had come on horseback, attended by a great number of officers. "'Sir,' said he to Ghanim, as soon as he entered, 
I am come from the commander of the true believers, my master and yours. The orders I have differ much from those which I do not wish to revive in your memory. I am to bear you company, and to present you to the caliph who is desirous to see you. Ghanim returned no other answer to the vizier's compliment than by profoundly bowing his head, and then mounted a horse brought from the caliph's stables, which he managed very gracefully. The mother and daughter were mounted on mules belonging to the palace, and whilst Fetna on another mule led them by a byway to the prince's court, Jafir conducted Ghanim and brought him into the hall of audience. The caliph was sitting on his throne, encompassed with emirs, viziers, and other attendants and courtiers, Arabs, Persians, Egyptians, Africans, and Syrians of his own domains, not to mention strangers. When the vizier had conducted Ghanim to the foot of the throne, the young merchant paid his obeisance, prostrating himself with his face to the ground, and then rising, made a handsome compliment in verse, which, though the effusion of the moment, met with the approbation of the whole court. After this compliment, the caliph caused him to approach, and said, I am glad to see you, and desire to hear from your own mouth where you found my favorite, and all that you have done for her. Ghanim obeyed, and appeared so sincere that the caliph was convinced of his veracity. He ordered a very rich vest to be given to him, according to the custom observed towards those who are admitted to audience, after which he said to him, Ghanim, I will have you live in my court. Commander of the true believers, answered the young merchant, a slave has no will but his master's, on whom his life and fortune depend. The caliph was highly pleased with Ghanim's reply, and assigned him a considerable pension. He then descended from his throne, and causing only Ghanim and the Grand Vizier follow him, retired into his own apartment. Not questioning, but that Fetna was in waiting, with Abu Ayyub's widow and daughter, he caused them to be called in. They prostrated themselves before him. He made them rise, and was so charmed by Jalib al-Kalub's beauty, that after viewing her very attentively, he said, I am so sorry for having treated your charms so unworthily, that I owe them such a satisfaction as may surpass the injury I have done. I take you to wife, and by that means shall punish Zubaydah, who shall become the first cause of your good fortune, as she was of your past sufferings. This is not all, added he, turning toward Ghanim's mother. You are still young. I believe you will not disdain to be allied to my grand vizier. I give you to Jafir, and you, Fetna, to Ghanim. Let a cause and witnesses be called, and the three contracts be drawn up and signed immediately. Ghanim would have represented to the caliph that it would be honor enough for his sister to be one of his favorites, but he was resolved to marry her. Harun thought this such an extraordinary story that he ordered his historiographer to commit it to writing with all its circumstances. It was afterwards laid up in his library, and many copies being transcribed, it became public. End of section 34 Recording by John Scott Jones, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, July twentieth, two 2007 End of the Arabian Nights Entertainments, Volume 1, by Anonymous, translated by Dr. Jonathan Scott.